Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Laura. Laura. Laura! Hi, my name's Jonathan Harden, and you're listening to the Honest Actors Podcast, sponsored by Pollen. Damn you, Pollen. Damn you. Uh, so I'm back. I've broken the run of things here a little bit. I'll explain that. I have been doing two episodes a week and then last week just did one because uh, Bruna hurt her back and the knock on was that it just I couldn't get too ready in time. So uh, this week was supposed to be a brand new uh, chat following Joanna Scanlon's lockdown chat last week. But because Laura Gordine's chat went out two weeks ago, I didn't want to leave her lockdown chat for too long for fear it would become a historical document. So uh, I'm putting that out today. So this is the first half of the chat that I have with Laura. She got back in touch with me afterwards to correct a few things, which I'll clarify at the end. But if you haven't heard that interview already, I suggest you go and listen to that. It was a couple of weeks ago, I think I put it out. Don't forget, there are loads of other episodes as well, brand new interviews with brand new guests and also those lockdown theme chats. So check all those out. And there are three series of a back catalogue to enjoy as well. Anyway, here it is. Lockdown theme chat with Laura Gordain. Enjoy. Can you hear me? Hi! <laughs> How you doing? Um, you know, not the best. It's been an awful time here in the United States. Yeah. And like you're, I mean, when I've been thinking of people that I know, during lockdown before that even begun began um i bruna and i both were thinking of you a lot because you know our friends in new york not a lot of green space near some of them uh or considerable distance you know living in smaller apartments not near family and that you you were among the people we were thinking of thinking this must be hard to then have that exacerbated yeah is an understatement um you know dialed up to 11 and beyond by what has happened in the past kind of 10 days must be incredibly tough yeah yeah it's um you know this this during this quarantine i've lost three family members i've lost my aunt um, and then my cousin's husband, my mom's brother-in-law, 
And I'm sorry to hear that. That's tough. Thank you. That's really um, tough. And then, you know, being stuck in, and I'm stuck in a studio. My brother's family lives upstairs. And for like six weeks at least, they treated me like typhoid Mary. So <laughs> I was like, they never saw me. I never saw them. Um, which was, you know, it was, it's just hard not having any contact with people at all. And for six weeks. Yeah, at least. Um, you know, I would see, like, every now and then my niece would, I'd see them for, you know, five seconds and, you know, but not being able to go in their apartment or anything like that. Or and, them come in yours or. Right. And what about, uh, one of the things I talked about with Denise Goff was, you know, I think we're all aware that older people, some of the, one of the things they miss most if they live alone is human touch. Yeah. Um, have you found that part of it difficult? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my friends, I don't know if I'll keep, you know, record this one, but one of my friends a couple of weeks ago. Nameless friend. We, like, nameless a friend. Friend of a friend. A friend of a friend. A, a friend of a friend. Um, it was the first time I saw, I've seen my, my friend, right? This, these friends of friends. And she, so one of them comes up to me. Well, she or he, as, it's indeterminate, the gender for the right. story. Yep. Correct. One of them, she's like, hey, Laura! And does an air hug. The other one. Ran and jumped into his or her arms. Right. Just embraced me. And I was not ready for that at all. And as she hugged me, um, I was thinking, should we be doing this? I was not really all that comfortable with the human embrace yet. Um, did you settle into it at all? Or did the whole time was anxiety, the kind of... The bigger... Yeah, the whole time I was kind of thinking... I'm going to pay for this. Yeah, the whole time I was thinking I might have to wash like that first couple few layers of my skin off completely. I don't think you have to do that. You know, you don't think so? No, I mean, if people are going to take anything from this podcast out of context, I would rather it be that they should inject uh, bleach and that that will kill the coronavirus because... Right. That's, that's Pretty much that bleach and then presidential have, advice. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then um right. Bleach and then <laughs> Don't, do not, by the way, do not inject bleach. I, I literally as much as I know people won't do that, I can't have that on my conscience. Um, bleach and like then would, that other you know, thing. Like, yeah. yeah. No. no. Um no, I'm working from home. Oh, that's not so bad then. That's not so no. bad. So and I didn't I wasn't working from home for the first how long have we been on quarantine? Too long. Since 1974. I remember right. it because Nixon was, no, hold on. Right. I can't it remember. Just it was, it's a long, it's a long time. Um, it's a long time. It's a long time. 
but I, I was, I wasn't working from home for at least, at least three weeks, maybe four. Um, so you were typhoid Mary? Correct. You were, pu- were and, public transport as well? Were you like on? No. So I actually, so people, um, so when it initially started, I was still working in the office. Yes. And I was bitter. I was like, oh, this isn't cute. You know, <laughs> I still have to go to the. I can't imagine you bitter. I got to me. I can't imagine your full heart. Oh, such a positive soul. I cannot imagine. Oh. I can't, oh, I can't see that. I mean, I oh, wouldn't want to cross you at the best of times, but crossing you during coronavirus, oh. forcing you to come into work. I could not. Yep. That oh. Was not, that, oh, yeah. Yeah, I was not. I was not happy. I was not pleased because it was just, I was just so frustrated that my job was us. Yeah. So lockdown's been tough. You don't mind me asking, and you can say with family members, is that is that coronavirus? Uh, with one family member, she'd been sick with cancer for years and years and was in hospice, um, and then got it when she was in hospice. And then with another, who was a sanitation worker and got it while he was on the job. And then with the other um, is still undetermined, but he was, he had been sick. And all African-American? Yes. Yes. So, so this is kind of, this is brings us around to um, the current protests and the fact that, as I said to Isaiah, I don't know if, did, did we introduce you to Isaiah? I'm one yes. of our mm-hmm. trips over, right? So, I've said nice there, but that thing about, you know, believing in something so much that you will put yourself in immediate harm, let alone from the militarized police, but from an unseen threat being coronavirus. Um, how does that, how do you feel about that part of it? Um, there's no denying that coronavirus has affected the black community of which I'm a part um, at higher at a higher rate than mm-hmm. the rest of the country. Um, I don't. I think that for my aunt, that wasn't the reason. Um, I can't speak for the other my other family members. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just another reason, you know. But I mean, just generally in terms of that it puts, I guess it's this whole thing about, you know, it's so hard to watch because you know it's a community putting itself at even greater risk. But then the question is. Oh, you mean in terms of the protest? Yeah, what, so which is the greater risk, you know, because ultimately these moments happen and the choice is to be involved or not be involved. And the question is looking oh. back, looking back, which will be the greatest regret, regret. And I think probably for a lot of people not being involved, right? Oh, yeah, for me. So the re, so I've been weighing this entire. Since the. 
since the protests started, um, I've been weighing going out there. Um, and I haven't yet for that very reason because of Corona. And it's really weighed on me because of my fear of getting it. And, and, and getting it and passing it to my mother. Yeah, I was going to ask, you come from a, a family that has a history of activism, right? Yeah. I mean, your mother and father were both involved in the original civil rights movement. Yeah. Um, how, how is, are you talking to your mom about it? Like, how is she processing it all? Yeah, she, you know, I was saying to her, you know, mom's so exhausted and angry and... And it occurred to me that if I'm feeling all these things, you must be feeling them exponentially, right? And, you know, she was basically like, true, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You know, in some ways, like, you know, what can you, what can you say? I, it's just... She was 14 when, I don't, I don't know, I'm not expecting you to know, um, the story of Emmett Till, who was, he was this young boy, he was 14 in 1955, 54, I believe, who went, he was from Chicago, but went down south to visit his family. Um, this doesn't end well. And, excuse me? This doesn't end well. No, not at all. Um, I believe it was in Mississippi, but um, he, the, the, story go, the story goes that he was whistling at a white woman and she, um, she told her husband and, or had some encounter with a white woman, right, on the street. Either she, he whistled at her or roped her, you know. Whether any of that is true, mm. I don't believe any of it, but um, she told her husband and the husband and his friend kidnapped him, beat him up, killed him, and then tied his body um, to rocks or something like that and threw him in a river. And then his body was found. Um, and his mother, Emmy Till, decided to um, hold, have his um, casket be an open casket at his funeral. Wow. Um, so the world could see what they did to his son, to her son. And, you know, a bunch of people said that that was sort of a spark for the civil rights movement. Um, so, you know, some people will mention his name in these protests. And my mom, who is like around the same age as Emmett Till, when that happened, is just like, that was in the 40s, I mean, in the 50s. And 
George Floyd just happened, you know, a little over a week ago. This is, things haven't really changed all that much, you know? Um, but back to your original point of, of the protests, you know, my main concern is bringing Corona back unknowingly to my mother. Because I guess the and, thing you want to do more than anything right now is go and see your mom and give her a hug. And, yeah. And, that, and the, the second you're allowed times. to do that, yeah. I've seen her a few times, but I haven't been able to hug her or anything. And, um, you know, when I've told her, Ma, I really want to go out there. And she's like, and I said, but I, and I start to say, but I, don't want to and she's like what get hit by uh, rubber bullets and I'm like no that's not it or I say but I'm worried about and she's like get hit by rubber bullets and you know tear gas I'm like no that's not it <laughs> yeah, that's really no <laughs> and right and and I was like, but I'm, I am concerned about You'd have loved Belfast virus. in the 80s. You'd have loved Belfast in the 80s. I mean. I know. Sounds like a roar Rubber bullets, tear gas, no coronavirus. Sounds like a roar of a time. You know I mean, it wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold, just the right temperature. Like, you know, temperate rioting. Nothing better than a temperate riot with no threat of a, I know. Of a global with, pandemic. With a little YouTube playing in the background. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I feel. Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, when you're trying to, this whole time to trying to figure out, like, how can I lend my voice? And it does, doesn't feel like enough. And, you know, I come across these memes of, like, for Black women in particular, of feeling like you're doing enough. And then wondering whether you really are. Mm. Um, but it's, and it's also hard because I work at the DA's office, district attorney's office. I'm still there. Mm -hmm. um, and then so I'm working with police officers all the time. And it's been quiet for me, actually, um, because of the, the protests. I, I haven't been interacting with them that much because they're so busy. Um, there have just been so many, so many protest cases. And my office released a press statement saying that they are declining to prosecute those cases, which I was pleasantly surprised to read. Mm. Um, but I was ready. <laughs> I'm a paralegal and they don't, they've never wanted paralegals to write up, um, protest cases, but I was all ready to protest um, having to do them if they decided that they wanted paralegals to write a yeah. protest case. Yep. I, I figured they would still be like, okay, that's nice, but you still have to write them up anyway. But that's that was protest. me like, yeah. Um, but my plan was, you know, yesterday I was looking on Amazon for goggles and like a respirator mask. <laughs> this is crazy. This is just yep. nuts. Yep. 
this I mean, is mad. Yeah. It is fucking weird. Like mum's going home tomorrow after 11 weeks with us. And um, oh, wow. I'm like, we're talking about, you know, how we need to make masks. And you're like, if you just said to me at Christmas, my mum, come Jude, my mum would have been living with us for three months. Right. We'd be having a discussion about how we were going to fashion homemade masks to protect against a virus that had come possibly from a wild animal market in China. I would be like, shut the front door. You know, right. no chance is that right. ever going to happen. It seems like the world has thrown itself into turmoil. And then, as I said to Isaiah, it feels like you guys have gone, something has happened else. Like you guys, I mean, that for you guys, it has, something has been done that has caused it to go even more topsy-turvy. I guess yeah. the, the big question, before we get into the Honest Actors Chat, I think the big question is, we all know this is a moment. This, we all know this feels different uh, because of the spread and the scale and the persistence of it and the conditions under which it's being done and also because the brutality with which it's being met is different as well. That it feels like an end game of sorts. It feels like both sides are going, this is a battle that we're going to win. And those battles tend to be the hardest fought, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and people aren't going to back down on either side. I've seen so many terrifying videos on Twitter of, of protesters walking past armed white people standing outside properties. Um, terrifying videos of police pushing over elderly people. Yeah, that know, video on Buffalo. Yeah. yeah, awful stuff. And then on top of that, obviously, the multiple kind of cases of murders of unarmed black citizens. And mm -hmm. I wonder, how do you feel in terms of this moment? Do you feel in any way optimistic that no matter what lays in front of us, whatever comes ahead, that somewhere in the future things will be better for this? Or are you on the more pessimistic side of feeling like things might not change at all? Um, in some ways, like, you know, it's incredibly encouraging and moving to see how global this movement is. Um, I had one of my white friends say something about this feels different. And I don't know why I was annoyed by that comment. I can't even put my finger on it. Well, um, I just said exactly the same thing. So my apologies. If no, it makes no, better. no, I can't. I, I, don't, I, don't, mean know it feels I don't mean it feels different to me. I think uh, as in. No, I know exactly what you meant, but I, I that, don't know why the, I felt annoyed when she said it. Yeah. The narrative feels different. Rather than, is, no, because it is, there is something about seeing it, you know, seeing London and Paris and then seeing um, like seeing people in New Zealand and all over the place like 
in support of this movement. And then not just in support of our movement, but also addressing their own what's issues. going on in their own, in their own country. Yeah. Um, you know it's bad um, when the police are wiling out and pushing old white dudes. Like, you know yeah. that things are going really crazy if they're doing that and they're doing that on camera um, and just don't seem to care. I mean, I don't know if you saw that um, if this was any other country, like say this, say these videos were coming from, um, let's pick a region and let's say Qatar, so say somewhere like, you know, like somewhere oil wealthy, right? Uh-huh. And it was white Christians being treated by armed police in that way. There would have been an international response. The UN would have went in. Yeah. Trump would, Trump would have ordered an airstrike. Um, and that's not necessarily the right response, but it's just interesting that it's just interesting that the only thing the rest of the world can do is watch in horror and protest because, because it's America, because it's too big to take on because just as China, this is not a China virus. This is not a, uh, one of those, but just because of practices in China regarding the sale of, of live animals or the slaughter of live animals in a market is seemingly unregulated. The rest of the world has had to deal with that. Will the rest of the world force China to regulate that industry better? Probably not because it's China. If it was Morocco, they probably would. Mm-hmm. But because it's China, right. meh, you know, right. and I think something similar with the States is that Actually, we all feel incredibly powerless, as I suppose you do there, but at least there, you, it's, it's a tangible thing that you can participate in, in some way. Yeah. Whereas for us, like so much of coronavirus, right. it's a two-dimensional feed. Like so much of, human, human, of our human experience, right. now, it's all a two-dimensional feed that just is really difficult. Impossible, in fact, it's impossible. And even, and especially with the fact that if you were super motivated and you were like, I'm getting on a plane to go to New York, you'd be mental. In normal yeah. circumstances, really highly politically activated people might think, do you know what? They need my help. Right. I've organized things like this before or whatever, you know, yeah. like people would travel to help. And it feels so isolating, I guess, in a way that so much has felt isolating in the past three months to watch friends we love and care about. And a country that we have obviously is embedded within our own culture, go through so much drama, but for it mm-hmm. to effectively be nothing more than a online television drama at the moment. Like it, 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 it's, yeah. this, it's this distant thing. But then that, I guess, as you say, it's, it becomes about, as I said, what I said, Britain dealing with its own colonial yeah. past and its own racist yeah. present. And acknowledging that things are not right in Britain, that things are not right in Ireland or France or New Zealand or wherever, basically wherever there are people, wherever there are people, there is racism, there is discrimination, there is sexism. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's the pessimist, the pessimist and the pessimism I have lies in the fact that for the past three years, 
you've seen Trump, I've seen Trump do these things where it's like, for anyone else, you think there's no way he'd still be here. Mm. No way. <laughs> no way. And yet he's still here. Yeah, there's, I mean, like all countries, I mean, Britain, and I say this as someone who lives within what the rest of the world regards as Britain, and before I moved home, definitely did live in Britain, although I refuse to admit that I ever lived in England. I always lived in London. Right. Um, just probably as you sometimes feel like you live in New York, not the United right. States, right? That someone lives in Britain, I know the British political system is flawed. I know that the electoral system is flawed. I know how um, Northern Ireland, at least we have proportional representation and that that works better than the first past the post system, which is largely unrepresentative. And it means that the people in parliament do not represent the voters, right? But in the States, like so much of American politics seems crazy. How long, like mm -hmm. the, the, the election process of a candidate, that circus around that two-party system, you know, the, just the, the fact that if effectively so much can be done without any consent of, of either of the houses, mm -hmm. just, and that if you want to, you can bend the rules. And basically all that stopped people bending the rules in the past is a sense of fair play, some sense of, or at least playing along to the sense of fair play, to be seen to be playing democracy. I mean, you don't, you don't have someone doing that and you have someone who's willing, mm -hmm. to, who's willing to just flout the democratic process mm -hmm. that actually that's that's possible without yeah. breaking any rules so it feels like so much of the american political system needs reform off the back of this and also that like say as i say i said that the constitution is is broken that it's no longer working and that's such yeah. a big that's such a big statement such a big statement and it's such an unpalatable thing like if you can't if everything goes harps back to the constitution why can we not have gone control well because of the constitution you know th there are people who are so tied to that for many other some very genuine some right. very spurious reasons that that i don't I, can, but I think in 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 sorry to interrupt no no please do i was going nowhere <laughs> in some ways the the one difference the one thing that i think is different um or where I disagree with Isaiah is that the Constitution or the judicial system. And you would know a lot more you know, about the judicial system than a lot of us. <laughs> or in some ways, it, it's, it, it's, it works for who it's intended to work for, right? Like, totally. But that's why yeah. that's why it's really hard to change is because the people who have control it's like the same as the British political system. The people who control the system like the system because it's what puts them in power. Right. So in some ways, it's it's not broken, like because it's intended to work for the people in power and people no, in power it's, are it's, with it. It's, so. in, it's intended to work for the people, but it's turned out working for the people in power. So yeah. So. Um, there, there, you know, it's hard to, for me to see because I've been so angry and depressed this week 
that is so, it's been hard to see um, the, to feel hope this week. Um, but, you know, I've seen change happening um, and forward movement that, that, that people have made like throughout the country. And so I do think it's happening. And I think there's a groundswell that's mm. happening in this country. Um, it's just hard because each day, it seems like there's just another killing, another shooting, and we still have to, you know, in the midst of this, and in the midst of saying his name, we have to say her name. No. Um, there's a lot that, there's a lot that needs, a lot that needs to change. Um, and it's not just, you know, we're, the, the fight that's happening now is about, I think that gets lost in, in all of this. We, we're talking a lot about police brutality in this. And, and we're, Ahmaud Ar Arbery's name gets mentioned, but he was killed by two white supremacists. Yeah. The, the judici judicial system was involved with this because these white supremacists, you know, hadn't been arrested and all this stuff, but it, he wasn't killed by the police. Yeah. Um, it can't become about the police or the point is missed. And, yeah. and, so uh, it, and the, the cheap it's answer. Larger, yeah. It's a larger. Um, it's a larger issue than just the police. Um, the police system is broken. I mean, and I work with cops all the time. And I, I work with good ones, so I, I know they exist. But we're beyond that. It's broken. Totally. It's been, it's been broken. It started, you know, out of a system of like slave patrols, basically, and it needs fixing. You know, a lot of the, their budget should be diverted to social programs. Yeah, so. but you can't. What I'm saying, I guess, what I'm struggling to say and try, and struggling to express is um, that. You can't fix the police if the society is broken. That if the society is, if there's a cancer of racism that is throughout society, and there is, like it's, it's, there's no, there's no denying it, and it's the same in Britain, I think, and it would be the same of Ireland in Ireland if racism was a big enough issue, if there were enough people of colour in Ireland for it to be a, it's a big issue for the small amount of people of colour in Ireland but it's not like there's a huge amount of people in society that way and I think that in some ways means it gets brushed under the carpet all too easily but my I guess you know what I'm saying is contradictory in a way that 
that change the places is kind of really important. But if you're recruiting from the general population and if you're policing the general population and if the judiciary is ultimately where it goes and if, you know, everything ends at the Supreme Court and the presidency and, you know, and if all of those things, if you can, if you can kind of question those things, then the police kind of just becomes, I think that after this, it would be really easy for Trump and everyone who wants to get away with more to say, let's, let's reform the police because it means we have to reform nothing else. And I fear like maybe that's what you were saying about it's not just about the police. The danger is it becomes about the police. You fix the police. So you don't have to fix anything else. I agree. I, I don't know how we. I think, though, we we might have to. I think we have to. Work on it simultaneously. As opposed to. Working on the working on society's ills and and then the police. Um, yeah, no, of course, we, we can't wait that long. Because. You know, the like our white allies. I was talking to a friend the other day. Um, and there's an article in the New York Times about, you know, like white people don't send your black friends like love texts. You know, I, I love you and thinking about you texts. Yeah. Um, and she was just asking, like, close, close fist emoji. You know, she was just asking, you know, how she could be supportive and stuff like that. So I had been thinking about that for a long time. And I was just saying um, that I appreciate the, the text. Some other people might not. Um, and I appreciate it from her because I know. I know her and I also have been communicating with her for, you know, this, during this quarantine and stuff. It wasn't but, the blue look. Right. And I also know that for some other people, I'm like their one black friend. So it's like, you know, um, like, let me check my Rolodex, you know, which for you young people out there would be your contact list. But, um, <laughs> you know, which is crazy. But like, you know, the exhausting part of this time period is like edu having to educate what you do, what I don't want to do. And I know like a lot of my black friends don't want to do is like having to spend time like educating white people on issues of race and racism and helping them find like resources and, you know. Just doing yeah. all of that or like helping white people like deal with their guilt and all that stuff. Like no one has time for that yeah. or the emotional space for that. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh no. And I, you know, people might be well-intentioned. I'm sure they are. Um, but it's just like, you know, you gotta move, not move on. You, you have to, you have to deal with that. Yep. But, yeah, I don't know why I brought that up, but. Because um, you're my one black friend. <laughs> right. But I don't think of you as black. <laughs> right. You don't see color. We're just one race. <laughs> That's um, one of my 
favorite. So it's just, you know, you do feel entirely useless. I don't feel guilty. I just feel entirely fucking the same way yeah. as I feel useless about coronavirus because I'm not a nurse or I'm not a doctor or I'm yeah. not a scientist or I'm, I just feel like yeah. going out and clapping for the NHS. Like we do that thing, you clap and you're like, right at seven o'clock, we do that here in New York. And you're like, I don't think it was brilliant for community building and all the rest of it. But part of you goes, this isn't enough. Right. I feel like for the nurses and doctors and people cleaning up the hospitals, I don't know whether this clap is really. I don't think it's going to cut it for them, you know, and they're putting their lives at risk and people died, you know, especially um, black and minority, I think doctors who were like, obviously more at risk. And then that was the whole, the whole thing about the government and like your government, they can get away with anything, you know, that they said 20,000 deaths would be a good result. And we're now way past 50, I think. And oh nobody, yeah. And it's like, my, you know, in, in my country, it's 106,000. Yeah. 106,000 at least. In the world superpower. And then you realize the value of socialism. Then you realize the value of looking after people, a government that looks after its people. So oddly, the countries that responded best to these were the liberal countries where they have a decent healthcare system, where they had female leaders who were less arrogant at the beginning, were willing to take mm-hmm. on scientific advice and think, that sounds pretty serious. We should take immediate action. That's incredibly radical of you, Jonathan. What? Female leaders. It's, uh, it's true, though. It's crazy. That's sarcasm. That's just the American thing, just because you've never had a, I mean, come on. (laughs) Get with the program. We have Maggie Thatcher and she was ace. She was delightful. She was one of the greatest. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean. That's a whole other chat. I don't want to get into my Maggie Thatcher. I know. No, I, um, it's my plan on Monday is to go to my first protest. Lovely. So I will keep you posted. Please do. That is my plan, to somehow socially distance while protesting. Have you got a mask? Oh yeah, that's what you're like, shopping for your thing, for your I, mask, for the protest. Yeah, so I don't have my like tear gas mask, but I have my regular mask. So I'm also not trying to be like all I mean, I'm a resistance fighter, but I'm not trying to be all like all up on the front lines or. No, 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 no. You know. Yeah. So, um, but yes, because I just, you know, I've donated, I've petitioned, I've shared information and it's what we've talked about, you know, feeling like it's, it's not enough. And. I think it's because history has always been my favorite subject. It was what I, it was my major in college. And I've constantly thought of like, you know, looking back, what do you want to be proud of, of doing? Um, And I don't know if I want to look back and say that was all I did. Yeah. And who, you know, and you know, being concerned about Corona is like a legit thing. It's not totally. 
And if that, and if people stay home, I get it. And who knows, maybe Monday I'll feel different. Yeah. And you're allowed to, you're allowed to go on Sunday. You're allowed to go and leave it and say, I'm not going to go. Like that's part of it, isn't it? You just have to do what, you, what you're comfortable with. My yeah. huge, my huge fear about this aside from, you know, people putting themselves in harm's way from a militarized police force and one that is also uh, violent in its intent and racist in its um, motivations is that ultimately it gives the political power, the government, an excuse about coronavirus. Because like in the UK, it's like, well, the government can now turn around and say, well, of course there was a second spike and more people died because everybody went out and protested against our advice. And we can now lay the blame for, okay, so, you know, let's say X number of black American citizens were killed illegally by the police. Look at how many hundreds of thousands died unnecessarily because of the protests. We could have done this peacefully. We could have done this from our own homes, petitioned online. You know, that's what they'll say. They'll have a hard, in some ways, they'll have a hard argument because they've been arguing, they've been pushing to to open up up for a a while now. And it feels like those white guys with guns were the guys arguing to open up. So you know, yeah. And in some states, they they have, um, and I mean, in Michigan and in um, where I forgot where else. It was what other state, but you, you've seen that striking image. I think it was in Michigan um, of the white guys like looking rabid, but um, like yelling at the law enforcement officers, getting in their faces without masks, and you know they're fighting to like get their nails done and go back to the bars. This was you know a couple of weeks before George Floyd was murdered, mm-hmm. and you know the the contrast to how they were treated versus and that was at the state capitol too inside the state capitol building um i think it was michigan um is just it's the oldest story in books you know yeah absolutely how armed white men were treated versus these protests but then you've also got those really striking images of like the National Guard guys taking a knee. Um, and, and that shows that actually sometimes the uniform becomes a unifier that doesn't necessarily tell the nature of the story, doesn't tell that the people behind that don't necessarily agree with what they're being told to do or with what the people, the dominant narrative within Mm-hmm. within that group and you know as you say there are good police officers there are people who will there will be national guard who will be deployed who will hate the fact they're being deployed but of yeah. course when they're challenged come on march with us that's the question is are they willing to do that and so i think so few of us would base the thing like actually in that situation but um it is just i mean it's so telling like what happened in buffalo to that old white, older white guy. That is some of the most damning footage I've ever seen in terms of just a lack of a moral compass. It's unbelievable. And the fact that 57, I don't know if you had heard part two of that story, 
but 57 of the cops in that squad resigned from that special unit. I don't think resigned from their jobs. I could be wrong, but resigned after from or the special unit after, after, right. in response to two of the cops being suspended. <gasps> Not because of their actions. Oh my God. But from being suspended. So, we, so what you're saying, we can't push people now? Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, I'm out of here. Is that basically what's happened? Because if people haven't seen this, this is, a, this is a video which you can find online. You think it's Buffalo, I have no idea. But it's an older gentleman, very skinny, frail, moves like an older gentleman. There's no, no reason that you would misinterpret his you know, being as being anything other than an older gentleman. And he gets pushed over, in the, pushed in the chest by an armed police officer, goes back, knocks his head, is out cold and starts bleeding from his ear. The cop who pushed him, I think, feels an uh, impulse. You see him step towards, then notice, mm, no. And Bruna says, I didn't notice this, but some one of the other kind of guys pushes him along, like, don't get involved. And then a whole, whole troop of them just walk past him while people are shouting, he's bleeding from his ear. It's terrifying. Uh, yeah. It's... And two, two of the officers get suspended. Why only two is beyond me, but two of them get suspended. Suspended and is then, hilarious. Suspended. Yeah. It's like you should see that video and go, can you get uh, O'Neill and O'Hara? Because you can fucking guarantee they're Irish. Right. Or, you know, can you get O'Neill and O'Hara in here? O'Neill and O'Hara right. like laughing in the fucking yard. And they come in and go, listen, lads, badges and guns. You're, right. you're Like that's a simple decision. Right. You get suspended when you're caught chewing gum. You know what I like, mean? In your class. But. They get suspended. On full pay, probably. And, and then, and then, fifty-seven of their fellow officers resign from the squad in protest. Jesus of Christ their Almighty! Suspension. Jesus Christ Almighty! Not because other officers are killing black people. You see, that was or because I... they pushed an old man. And he, he was in serious but stable condition. See, Mike, what I can't get my head around is, right, it's the shamelessness of it, right? It's we live in an age where everything is filmed. Everything you do in public, you can guarantee someone will film it. And if you're in the middle of a protest of the nature, the nature of which you're currently you know, experiencing in the U.S., you can guarantee if you push someone over, someone's going to be filming it, right? And yet it happens. Now, that's not even the fucking scary part. The scary part, excuse my language, by the way, the scary part is, can you imagine what was going on in the 50s and 60s? Yeah. Whenever your parents were fighting, fighting, sorry, campaigning, fighting yeah. is the wrong word, for yeah. civil rights. What was happening that wasn't being filmed in a world where yeah. you could get away with literally everything, where there were no cameras in the corners, where there were no yeah. cameras in stores, where there were yeah. no cameras on police cars, where there were no yeah. cameras fucking, you know, in police stations or jails or cells or interrogation rooms or any of that mm -hmm. stuff. Can you mm -hmm. imagine what was going on and people were getting away with? And the story you told at the top of this, that mm -hmm. is one story that we know about. That's the, that to me, the, the most terrifying thing about this is this stuff's happening. We're seeing it and people are not being fired. There is evidence. People are not being fired. 
Mm-hmm. Whenever there was no evidence, but there were other people around, did everyone just laugh yeah. and, and get on with their lives? That's the really terrifying part of it. Yeah. My, um, my mom, I, when we were talking about the protests, my mom, there's uh, going to be a major protest in August uh, down in D.C., another march on Washington. Um, the same date as the March in Washington um, that happened with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Um, and my mom said, oh, well, I'll go. I was like, mom, I might borrow your car. And she said, well, I'll go. I was like, oh, I don't know if you should go, you know. She said, well, I went back, back in the original one. Okay, we'll see. Um, I was just thinking of my mom doing that and my dad, my dad, when he was in college, he was 21 or something like that, was a huge Malcolm X supporter, right? Loved him. And he wrote, he was writing a paper on the black Muslim. And so he called up the nation of Islam and to see if he could um, interview Malcolm X. And that he was able to. I don't, I mean, how is, like, I, I still to this day, like, how, who does that and how is that possible, right? But you, you just call up and you're able to interview Malcolm X. But he was able to. So, he met him at Temple Number no. 7 restaurant on 116th and Lenox. My dad thought like, oh, okay, you know, maybe we'll meet for a half hour or something. And they met for three hours. My dad's like 21 years old. And, and they talk and talk and talk. And my dad says that at the end of the interview, they're looking back City College, where my parents um, went to school, is up on a hill in Manhattan. And, and Malcolm X turns to him and says, you know, Brother Gordine, you know, when you go back to school or college, whatever he said, I just want you to remember one thing, like, be fair. My dad's like, okay. You know, whatever. Like, Daddy, do you still have the paper? You know, I have, I don't know where it is. We, when we moved out of the house, I looked everywhere for this paper. You know, just like, I gotta find this paper, I gotta find this paper. Never found it. My mom had told me, and my dad had told me this too, that one day, one night at City College, my dad had moderated this debate. He was, president of the NAACP chapter in college and moderated a debate where Malcolm X participated. Like, how is this possible? Like, I'm just like, this is crazy. These historical moments that my, these little snapshots that my family was part of. Yeah, but your dad was not just another an A and other citizen. Your dad was a pretty, but outstanding, he was, pretty outstanding. But he was then. He was just like, you know, a college kid, you know? But he, every, everybody he, at college is a college kid, you know, like. 
Barack was a college kid, right? Like, you know. <laughs> right. That's like, what I mean. He's just like a college kid. And he just moderated this debate that just happened to have Malcolm X, who was Malcolm X. He wasn't just anyone. He was Malcolm X. My dad said, <laughs> my dad said he, that he would give Malcolm X just a little bit more time to speak than other people in the debate. Because <laughs> he had a lot to say and he was more interesting and very eloquent. I can understand that. And he was just a little bit more interested in what he had to say than other people. Like, that's, that's awesome. So, I, uh, so he had this, this button that had uh, Malcolm X's face on it, his birth date, the date of his death, and it said our black shining prince on it, um, which is a line from the eulogy that Ozzie Davis gave, and which you could read, it's at the end of um, the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I don't know why I brought all this up, but um, a friend of mine had asked where, you know, we need our civil rights. We need, she didn't say we need ours. She said, where are the civil rights leaders? And I said, they killed them. And she said, oh, you mean Martin and Malcolm and stuff? And I said, yes. And she said, um, no, I mean the ones of today. And I said, well, maybe if they hadn't killed them, we wouldn't need the ones of today. Um, you know, not to say that like all of society's ills would be wiped away, but who knows what the world would look like totally. and our country would look like if our civil rights leaders hadn't been assassinated and, you know, thrown in jail and not to say that women weren't participating in the movement. I didn't mean to only mention men, but, um, cometh the are though, cometh the, man, woman, you or know, child, you know, um, surely there are leaders out there, you know, there are leaders out there and, you know, women were the ones, yeah, women were the ones who started the Black Lives Matter movement and there, there are other young people who, and it's crazy that I'm not even putting myself in the young people's movement, but um, I don't know, I, we're, we're I don't young. really have direction right now where I'm speaking, but we're young, we are young, right, we're, we're young. still young, we're at like the Older end of the we're young. young. We're young. Relatively right? speaking. Yeah. Right? We're, I mean, I'm past middle age. No, you're, no, you're not. Yes, I am, because middle age is halfway between life and average end of life, right? So what's average life in the UK? Like 38 or something? Or sorry, 76. So I'm, I'm now 40, so that's two years past middle age. I'm on, the, I'm, I'm on the downward slope at the bottom of which lies my coffin and, um, and the beyond. That- that is, um, you're I, going to I think of it, think of it as a really long water slide, and it's fine. You are going I'm on to the water slide to, to death. You are going to defy the odds. Uh, yeah, I could do it. Defy the odds of my family would be living to about 50, but you know, um, let's let's keep our fingers crossed in that regard. Um, so listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some questions because if you've yes. got time, I want to do the, the old uh, Honest Actors uh, yes. thing with you. So um, I have a feeling that's going to be a short bit. 
So there you go. That was the chat with Laura Gordine. The first part of that chat, the second part has already gone out. It's confusing, I know. If you listen to the podcast, you'll understand exactly what's happened. If you don't normally listen to the podcast, then my apologies. It is normally better run than this, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Um, So I think this is me going to one episode a week. I have been trying two a week. And in previous series, it had always been once a fortnight, which seemed a little bit sparse. So I'm going to try one a week, see how it goes, alternating between lockdown-themed catch-ups with guests from former series and brand-new chats with brand-new guests. So stay listening. Thanks for joining me on this one. Just before I go, though, a couple of things Laura wanted to clear up. But one thing specifically. Uh, She said, I think I called Emma Till's mother Emmy by mistake. Her name was Mamie Till. I didn't know that story before Laura uh, told me it. So um, I'm glad that I know that now. So thanks to Laura for that. And the second thing, bit of news, was that Laura marched that Monday from Washington Square Park in the village to Gracie Mansion, the mayor's house, on 89th and York Avenue, which is a very far distance, I'm told. And uh, I'm also told she could barely move afterwards, but she's glad she went. So that, at least, resolves that issue in the discussion I hope you enjoyed it. There's plenty more of these already out. And uh, as I said at the top of this, there's three series to go back and enjoy, either again or for the first time. Oh yeah, before I go, shit. No, fuck it, I'll leave it for next time. You've had enough. Uh, I'll see you next week, or you'll hear me next week. Until then, thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 